Well, the partnership is made up of about 15 organizations. You've got the National Farmers Union, the Country Land and Business Association, the Campaign for the Protection of Rural England, you've got the Suffolk Wildlife Trust, the Essex Wildlife Trust, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, um, Dedham Vale Society, the Cone Store, Countryside Association, um, and then the volunteers, they're on, you know, they have a voice on the partnership deliberations, and I might have missed out one or two out. But um, yeah, so, so we get together, we listen to each other's concerns, Environment Agency, of course, are involved, Natural England, which is the sponsor body, um, and uh, uh, then all the local authorities who are the funders of, of the project. And um, yes, they all, they all have a voice, and uh, they all get together, and it's, it's a very good thing, because people understand each, other, each other's concerns, they don't always agree with them, but um, you know, it's good to have the discussions. People who are interested in fishing, people who are interested in um, mammals and birds and their habitats, uh, if they can all get together, you know, that's a really good thing. I mean, what is brilliant about working now in, in, in 2018 is that there are so many people who are really passionate about, about rivers, you know, whether it's people who are involved in a rivers trust or people who you know, live next to a river or farm next to a river. You know, their knowledge of the river is huge and their understanding of the river is massive. So we're always learning from, from people who've lived by the, these rivers for years and years and years. You know, we're always finding new information. We're always discovering new things. And overall, you know, people do, do work well together. I mean, there are, there are issues, and of course there are issues. We, we can have no point sort of shying away from that. But that's unsurprising in, you know, a very densely crowded island with a lot of people living, uh, you know, near to these rivers who've got different ideas on how they should be managed. So, you know, some people would like to see a lot more navigation on, on rivers. Some people would like to see rivers dredge from top to bottom. Other, people's are passionate, other people are passionate about the wildlife. Other people are trying to obviously farm and grow crops uh, near, near rivers. Other people take inspiration from, you know, historic landscape and cultural landscape. So, we're trying to trying to balance all of those you know, requirements. And obviously, a lot of people like to access rivers for recreation, whether it's angling, or wild swimming, canoeing, kayaking, and that, that kind of stuff. Bird watching. So we do spend a lot of time, you know, talking to different groups, liaising, trying to find you know paths through. Um, so an awful lot of early communication is absolutely. So we do we do a lot of that, um, but yeah, it's an ongoing it's an ongoing process really of trying to keep us all, all you know, getting from the rivers what we what we want. Well, we do a lot of work in the Stour Valley. So my in my job, I'm looking at quite a, a bit of Suffolk. So I look at various catchments, work in various catchments. And so they are the Waveney catchment, the Deben, the Gipping, the Stour and the, the coastal rivers. So it's, there's a lot of um, land to cover there, a lot of rivers, with the main rivers and the tributaries. And we work with all sorts of different partners. So we work with um, Wildlife Trust, so Suffolk Wildlife Trust. We work with the Dedham Vale Area of Outstanding Natural Beauty Projects. We work very closely with them. And we work with Essex and Suffolk's Rivers Trust and local authorities, River Waveney Trust. And farm cluster groups, 
individual landowners, and parish councils, all of those, all of those groups of people. Well, I draw up the management plan, get it approved by them, and then we put the management in, in, into, you know, into action. Uh, we have every year, every summer, we have estate inspections that my trustees come out on and the landowners are invited too. So councillors are invited to come and join. Uh, and we had one last, last summer here and uh, the council manager came as well. So they can actually see firsthand what we're doing why we're doing it and what the results are and in that way uh, I hope that everyone's happy. <laughs> I think it works very well. So um, within sort of local parishes um, there are groups that have a community wild space and they would want maybe some advice or support in managing that community wild space for, for nature, for wildlife, for the benefit of the local community. So I would uh, I go in, I speak to them and I make suggestions and offer our volunteers to go in and, and help support managing that site and work with them, alongside them. And yes, I mean, some of these people put hours of their time in to, in, to make these things a success. And, you know, one example I can think of is the um, the Stoke by Nayland, Leathenheath and Polstead Woodland Group who have been going now I think probably for over 15 years and they leased a piece of land from the Rowley Estate at, and Tendring Hall and you know they've, they've created a fantastic woodland space, fantastic habitat for wildlife and access you know is, is, is open to the public so yeah really wonderful and they, they keep going and now they're expanding into other areas, they're doing hedge laying, they're doing lots of community stuff with the school, they've taken on working with the, the wildlife area there and been involved in some of the projects that I've been involved in, such as the Scattered Orchard project which we did in the Store Valley and also a Pollinator Patches project which we did both working with local parishes and community groups uh, to engage them in um, sort of you know improving the local area for people to access wildlife and you know conservation. Well, there's, there's lots of different stakeholders, so I've sort of talked about the sort of educational ones. I'll talk a bit more about tourism ones. Um, it is a destination, you know, renowned for the painters that painted in the area, Constable, but also Munnings, and um, obviously Gainsborough as well. So there, there is this sort of draw, uh, and, and it's become more and more popular over the years. So there is a Denonville Visitor Management Group, that sort of helps guide the management of the area for tourism and something that I was involved that came out of that was to create some volunteers called Constable Country Volunteer Rangers who go out and walk the footpaths, they pick up litter but they also, um, there are eyes and ears on the ground, they report things that are um, an issue, for example it could be that there's a a damaged style or a boardwalk or the signage isn't good so they report back and we try and sort that out so that the aim is to make sure that everyone who comes to Constable Country has you know the best experience that they can and uh, keeping the landscape as beautiful as it can be um, but also a big part of what they do is to engage with the visitors and who come to the area 
and to uh, help them if they're lost, to help them maybe, you know, sometimes they're a bit scared about walking through the cows, you know, the field, that are grazing in the field. So it's just giving a bit of support to visitors, giving them like, oh, did you know that there's this great activity going on at Flatford today if they've got children? So passing on that information and, you know, just um, helping them have a better experience, really, and uh, supporting the sort of visitor uh, businesses in the area, so you know, pointing them to Munnings, which has got an amazing um, gallery there, but also um, anywhere nice to go and eat. Dog mess, dogs not under control, such as you know, people picnicking and in places where they shouldn't do. So, we didn't really want to put up loads of signs because you know, it's not an urban area, it's a beautiful part of the countryside. And so, by having people wandering along, we just thought it would be a nicer way of you know, maybe getting across some of the messages that we felt needed to be put across. So they have a tabard, it's a, it's a green tabard. It's like a, it's like a high-vis tabard, but not high-vis, if you know what I mean. And uh, so and they have hats that sort of say Denville Youth Ranger and stuff like that, and they have a little pick and they all wander up and down the footpaths, you know, and yeah, uh, so they are visible. We do need more. We, we sort of did a pilot project a few years ago and so yeah, we need to get some more people. I just tried to aim locally because I thought, you know, there's no point people coming miles to come and do this. So it's really, it's, a, it's the villages that I think they want to keep their landscape looking good. So I, I tried to just recruit locally. And what I would like to do now is to work with those people who are volunteering to do a bit more practical work. So when we hear things that are not right, such as um, there's a bush that's really overgrown, people can't get through the footpath, then, you know, I can tool them up and they can go and do some snipping. Constable Country is extremely popular and it does have an impact on the landscape with erosion paths and things like that. Um, so we have uh, literature, we have lots of publications, so which encourage people to go further beyond Constable Country, which is great, because they're missing out on some amazing villages, you know, really chocolate box villages, you know, like Stoke by Newland, Polstead, you know, Newland, there they are gorgeous. And from, from each of these villages, there are lots of lovely village walks. You, you get up a bit higher, Constable Country actually is quite low, it's quite flat in the landscape, it's on the, it's on the floodplains. So by getting up higher, you get these fantastic views down into the valley and you can see, you know, the river and the, the woodlands on the sides and it's much more intimate and, um, yeah, it's, it's really beautiful. So yeah, we do encourage people to step beyond Constable Country and try to go to um, different areas in the area of Outstanding Natural Beauty and beyond. It is very much the... Um Farmers, really, I think, isn't it? Um, and most most of them are, are are fully cooperative, as far as we're concerned. I think with doing what is best for the landscape, um, you get one or two um, issues from time to time. But that's that's one of the beauties we find we've got is that um, we get we are able to get on quite well with um, landowners. Must be the nature of the staff we've got. If there are any issues, they do tend to be able to persuade them to do the right thing, if you like. Um, so that's part of the, the, the nature of our staff, um, I think, that they can do that. They're seen as, as being genuine and, and, and what they say is worth listening to, if you like. And the vast majority of farmers um, are very supportive, I think.
initially it's, it's just communication isn't it and you find that landowners are, the, are exactly the same as environmental groups we all want an environment that's run well because it is a you know it's a busy busy river really isn't it you've got boat users you've got fishermen most importantly you've got some of the high-end crops that are growing next to the river um, so that's where the environment agency has to try and protect the environment with sort of permits and regulation but again we we have to sort of work with with people to say this need this needs to be looked after we these kind of projects need to be done and yeah it's just it's sort of the way we we sort of met you know it's that sort of reaching out to people communication and i think the future is sort of being transparent about stuff as well so getting it out onto news outlets and and doing media pieces I first went on the river as a very small boy. My father loved taking us down to Dedham and we'd hire one of the boats and, and go up and down and explore some of the little creeks and tributaries. Um, so that was my, I suppose, first introduction to the store. And um, so I've been sort of involved with it ever since. But my uncle and Sir Alfred Munnings founded the Dedham Vale Society in 1938. Um, Munnings was the first president, Raymond Erith was the first chairman. And it, it, ever since the society has battled to fight against inappropriate development, I would say. And they were, I think, very largely responsible for Dedham Vale becoming an area of outstanding national beauty. It was a tremendous battle at the time because they were going to make East Burkholt uh, Stratford and Dedham into a sort of new town. This had the backing of both Essex and Suffolk County Councils and uh, it was only because of the fight that was put up by a lot of local people under the aegis of the Dedham Vale Society that uh, got it to, um, to the government and uh, the government called the plans in and eventually it was declared an AONB. I'm conscious, I can remember um, a highlight of the Dedham Vale Society's sort of battle to stop development in the Vale was when they defeated that and the AOMB resulted from that effectively. So I think that probably was the sort of turning point when people did begin to um, realise that, that there was a need to, to, to protect the landscape and, and, and the natural heritage of areas, I think. But I mean, if you, if you go back, that obviously started way back in the end of the sort of Victorian age when, when people started to look at um, things like the National Trust were formed um, which is very much on that same sort of thing to try and get people out into the countryside away from the industrial centres and that sort of thing. And that sort of rolled through and that's very much in my view what, what areas that saying natural beauty should be and we've come back to that in a way because we are trying to get people to, to come out and exercise in, in those areas now more than just look at them. If you go back to you know, the, the very first principles of the 1949 National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act, 
um, which gave the legislation to enable uh, areas of outstanding natural beauty to be designated as, as well as national parks. And as you, as you say, Cathy, that, yeah, that, that was a real visionary um, statement at the time, wasn't it? And I suspect, yeah, I'm not quite old enough to remember, but I suspect that sort of related, you know, it was post-war years, you know, people had, had made you know, an, an incredible sacrifice and yeah, they wanted something back of, of, of their country, and I think yeah, the, the, the National Parks and Access to the Countryside Act yeah really did sort of um, yeah allow that to happen. You think of the yeah the the, the trespasses, the mass trespasses on on Kinderscout. Yeah, that there was a feeling that yeah people you know, needed mm. to uh, have access to, to the countryside, and I almost see that yeah a sort of uh, a reflection of that now. Yeah, we, yeah I, I mentioned earlier about the the 2016 State of Nature Act, and we're yeah we're we're looking at yeah 50 percent plus of our wildlife species in decline. I think people are starting to recognise that um, yeah we are at a crossroads. If we want to um, save our wildlife, we're going to have to start start doing something and start doing something soon. So the, you know, the AOMB was, was designated in, in 1970 and it's quite interesting when you, when you look at the history of, of why that, that was designated. Various um, areas of outstanding natural beauty were being designated around about that time and as I understand and as I've, I've read about it, there were some real planning pressures. Um, there was a proposed new town between Colchester and, and Ipswich. And uh, the Dead and Vale Society, who I think were, were sort of a loose organisation, that became more formalised as the Dead and Vale Society, but some, some really strong characters there were resisting that uh, development that was seen to be inappropriate and also yeah, negatively impacting upon the landscape that John Constable had, had painted. And they sort of yeah, forced the government's hand to, to come and look at a a designation um, for for the area, um, and you know it was a, it was a long process. Um, but the Denbow AOMB is one of the only areas of outstanding natural beauty that have been designated on on predominantly cultural uh, reasons. You know that the landscape quality is recognised and the wildlife associated with it is recognised. But the one of the initial driving forces. Was the uh, with the association with John Constable, and also yeah, Gainsborough further up the river, and, and, and many other painters as well. So, really interesting um, that that was the driver. I think as a staff team, we work across the whole of the Store Valley in very much the same way that we do um, and often don't even think about where the line is that, that separates the official area of outstanding natural beauty to the the rest of the Store Valley, which, which as I say, is we actually care for, work on in very much the same way. I think one of the things we've actually forgotten to say is that the purpose of designation is the uh, requirement by national government to support uh, financially the core team and the core activity that can actually help work on that area. There were a number of people 
very involved at the beginning. There was Wolf Peak and John Marriage and Major Logan Brown and mm -hmm. Doreen, wasn't mm -hmm. there? Mm -hmm. You know, the people who actually set the trust up and became the first trustees. They were amazing people. And actually, John Marriage was very practical. Um, and he was running canoe rallies up and down the river long before the trust was formed because it was actually before the trust it was the london and home counties branch of the iwa yes it was who were keeping yeah. a watch on it and getting very concerned about water obstruction and threats to the navigation and it was the iwa who were keen that it became a separate organization um so John Marriage, as I say, was organising canoe trips down the river to keep open the right of navigation. Um, and farmers were against having boats on the river and putting ropes across to try and catch people across their necks. It was absolutely awful. But anyway, eventually that all calmed down. Um, and, and it was 1965 and the River Style Action Committee was formed, mm. chaired by John Marriage. Yes. Yeah. Um, who became one of our vice presidents in due course. And it became the trust in 1968, didn't it? Yes, that's, that's right. And and then, meanwhile, while all this was going on, there was the case brought to the House of Lords, wasn't there, which, the, which was successful in, because in, in establishing, in, in confirming the right of navigation on the river. Fra Francis Batten was closely involved with that case too, wasn't he? With, Francis actually spoke in he, the House he of spoke, Lords. He spoke, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. yes, at the inquiry, yeah. Because they asked who could um, confirm or take away the right of the navigation, yeah. and he said, it's yeah. you. And they found in favour of keeping it, because of the constable connection and the barges and, you know, the whole history of the river as a statutory navigation. They weren't going to take that away. They could see the sense of it. Um, so that confirmed there was a right of navigation, but the problem was then that Anglian Water wanted to change the bylaws and that's when they brought in this silly rule about you can't have motorised craft below Henny unless you've had a boat on the river with a motor as a riparian owner. And in fact you took advantage of that because you thought there should be a boat on the river at yes, Flatford. Yes. Francis had a boat as yes. a riparian owner yes, so and the two came together. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, and that mm. was tremendously popular, mm. wasn't yeah. it? And it established that uh, people wanted to be on the river, started yeah. earning money for the trust, didn't it? And I thought, what better way to, to, to advertise the fact that we exist but to have a boat with River Star Trust on the side going up and down the river. So that's what we did. Yeah. Meanwhile, we were aware that there were a number of, of the old Stour lighters had been buried in Ballingdon Cut. And in 1972, um, members of the Trust dug that out and, um, and, and took it down to um, somebody's farm, didn't they? It was taken by road, wasn't it? Yes, it was, Originally, yes. But, yeah. For some restoration. Restoration, yeah. Um, I remember seeing it on the river when they patched it up. Yes, we've got pictures of that, yes. We've got pictures of the town clerk and all sorts of dignitaries and this boat absolutely laden with people. And there's me thinking, it's going to sink, it's going to sink. But it did, it was horse-drawn, wasn't yes, it, for yes, a while? Well, yes, well, with Francis, yeah, yes, because Francis 
Bert Batten's wife ran a um, um, boats on the river at Chester, which by coincidence is where I come from. So that was a that was a nice happy coincidence, and that they had their their horse. Uh, Snowy that used to pull barges up and down the, the canal at Chester. So Snowy was was brought brought down here, and it was, it was uh, Snowy that that that, uh, that um, towed the lighter with all the dignitaries on it. Yeah, it was and, good that. Was and there. I picked up from my notes that mm. the man who oversaw that first restoration, that initial restoration on the on the light was called Strawberry Fields. Yes. They nicknamed him Strawberry Fields. I don't, goodness knows why. And then that restoration was finished in 1978, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that initial one. Um, but it was only done in softwood, which is why it didn't last, because mm. it was it was moored for a long time outside the granary. It got vandalised, didn't mm. it? Do you remember the Romford Boys Brigade used to come out every yes, week? Yes, they adopted it, didn't they? They did. As and their they, project. And we had a pump running on it all mm. the time that Jack Leverage used to go and check, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, but then in the hurricane, it lost its hatch covers and it got vandalised yeah. and it sunk. Yeah. And it really got into a very sorry state. And then we moved it. Well, we had it outside the Key Theatre at one point, yeah. and then we took it down to Cornard, yeah. where it sat quietly rotting away for quite a long time. And then coming shame. back to the Romford Boys Brigade, yes, they they used to come up on a regular basis and camp, didn't they? At oh, at Whiston, was it? At Whiston, yeah. Yes, yeah. Whiston Grove, it yeah. was, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, Francis's place again, wasn't it? So mm. that was all, all linked together wasn't it mm. and we know there are still 12 scuttled lighters in Ballingdon Cut but mm. I should imagine there's not much left of them no, now no, no 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 the two acts of parliament that established the navigation were never repealed even in its collapsed state it was still a public navigation with rights of navigation for the public to use the argument that, that our members put forward was that as it was established by an Act of Parliament, it would need another Act of Parliament to withdraw those public rights. And the Anglian Water Act was trying to do it with a, um, a bylaw, which basically was was not legal, but they were trying just the same. They were trying to do it with a bylaw. Our members went to the House of Lords, I think it was three of them in all, and they actually stood before the Lords and said, this is a public navigation. And they said, without an Act of Parliament, you cannot take away our rights of navigation. And here is our proof. And they had these photographs of the canoes with the corn, uh, the bricks and, and what else, going all the way down the river and the House of Lords agreed with them. They said, you know, you, you cannot take this right of navigation away. We, we finished up with some restrictive bylaws which um, are slowly eroding and hopefully in the very near future we'll get rid of all those restrictive bylaws. Uh, there was a great fear that, that we were going to put floating gym palaces on and turn it into the Norfolk Broads. Well, we don't want that any more than anybody else does. We, we like the quiet, 
peaceful river. We like to see the kingfishers. We like to see the, the water voles, the herons. That's, you know, most of us have come from a hectic lifestyle and we've come here for some peace and quiet. We don't want to see um, great big eight berth cabin cruisers going up and down the river. No, that's not what we want. We want to preserve the river. We want to preserve the right of navigation. And we want people who otherwise wouldn't see it to get a chance to see the river. As I say, there's no towpath. Uh, the chances of Mr. and Mrs. Average seeing all of the river are very remote.